It is Friday, February 21st, 2020, almost to 2019. My name is Daniel Bader. This is the Android Central Podcast. And joining me this week, Jerry Hildenbrand. Hey, hey, How hey. are you feeling? I am feeling great now. How are you? Yeah, I'm coming down with something. I think uh, mm. I think my daughter gave me yet another cold. You know how you feel like achy, but you're not quite sick yet? Yep. So that veil is slowly, yep. you know, just like dropping over your brain. Well, uh, I can that's say I with authority, right don't ignore it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why you weren't here on the on the show last week, because yeah, we ignored it a little bit. I don't even long. think I was in the world anywhere most of last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very happy you're feeling better. All right, so this week we are going to talk about um, the Galaxy Z Flip and the Galaxy S20. Uh, we talked about those things a lot in the last couple of weeks, but they are either now available in the case of the Z Flip or the pre-orders are open and we have units in the case of the Galaxy S20. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And, uh, and that's why Andrew's not on the show because he is busy starting our review. But uh, we also wanted to talk about Android 11 because obviously that dropped in its first developer preview earlier this week. And it's not a huge deal yet, but it will be later this year. So we want to give people an idea of what to expect. So if, uh, if, if you don't want to hear anything about Galaxy stuff, just skip over to section two. But first, uh, okay, so Jerry, over the last week or so, uh, the, you know, appropriately named Jerry Rig Everything YouTube channel, um, uh, Zach, he poked the bear by poking the Galaxy Z Flip and punctured it. And then everybody was like, what the hell, man? It's not real glass. And uh, then there was a teardown by iFixit, and they discovered that indeed there is glass. And then you wrote up something sort of putting it all to bed and explaining what the hell is happening. So is the Galaxy Z Flip a glass phone? Yes or no? Yes, but not the part you touch. Why? And what? And uh, how? It is. It has. Samsung calls it ultra-thin glass, and... They've trademarked it, and they call it, I think they actually call it Samsung Ultra Thin Glass, but it is made by a third-party company, and it is actually very, very thin, flexible glass. But it is so thin and so dainty, delicate, that you have to cover it with a polymer sheet. It's the exact same polymer sheet that they use on the fold. So the part you're touching with your finger isn't glass after all. It's glass underneath that. Right. Okay. So the question here is why would Samsung cover a glass screen, which would ostensibly be more resistant to scratches than plastic? Why would they cover it with a what amounts to a screen protector? Yeah. Uh, well, gotta, everybody's got to remember, too, this is all speculation because... Samsung is not going to go out on and, and say why they did this. They're going to tell you that it's still really great. And a lot of people I've talked to that are using the phone now agree that it, it does somehow feel better than the fold. Uh, that may be the construction or whatever. But the glass itself is so thin that if you ding it, it's going to literally just shatter and fall out and, and it's going to be a mess that nobody would want to deal with. There's just no way you can release a product that could even potentially be dangerous. 
Right. So it's it's um so Samsung is hedging here, right? Yes. They're saying this glass is 30 microns in diameter, which is basically it's it's uh thinner than a human hair. Right. Um for for those of you who still have human hair. <laughs> um and it's it's likely not to be scratched as badly when you run your finger or you know um you know put it in a in a uh pocket or something with keys or i mean your phone's closed so that's not actually the concern right. here but like say you can't really scratch it as easily as a as, as a plastic screen but it's easily punctured because it is just literally so thin yep so let's install a plastic protector over it let's then um, shield the edges of that screen protector with a massive bezel so that no dust can get under it the way that it did initially on the Galaxy S or the Galaxy Fold and people won't mistake it for a screen protector you can remove. And then let's market the phone as covered with glass and then not say that there's a plastic screen protector on it until somebody mm-hmm. tears it down and finds it. Which they, they had to know that somebody was instantly going to find out it was plastic. That's yeah. the part that puzzles me is did they really think they were going to get away with, you know, calling it a glass phone? I, I yeah, just don't know. I, I mean, here's the thing, right? What other option did they have? None. That's, I, I don't, you know, I, I can't blame them for what they did. Uh, they, they used glass maybe just so they could say they used glass uh, or maybe they, you know, want to see how this works as a trial for their next idea. Uh, but there really is no way they could release that phone without the plastic on, on the top. Right. And then if you decide to, you can go to a U-Break iFix store and get a another screen protector professionally installed on top of the existing one, right. which I think is pretty hilarious. So then you'd have a, a, a glass screen under yeah. two plastic screen protectors. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, just to obscure the, you know, just to the, the thing that I find really funny about it is that you know, aside from scratch protection, glass is clear. I mean, the reason we use glass on phones is because of its its clarity and the fact that mm-hmm. it it passes electrical signal through really well. Um, it's it's nice and conductive. It's just it's a perfect material for phones, other than the fact that it can shatter. Um, because really, I don't think scratches are a problem on current day phones, right? Like you could scratch phones, you can gouge them, but not in the way that you can scratch or gouge a plastic screen. Right. Everybody listening, if you could look at your phone in the right light right now, it's got a lot of super two really tiny scratches in it, but nothing that you can even see. It's not like things used to be. So they've got glass down pretty good you know the the companies that make it big names like corning and uh and it it feels good let's let's not forget that part it it feels good to use glass if you've got a a touchscreen head unit in your car that has a a plastic covered crappy display touch display on it you know you hate that thing but your phone feels good because it's a capacitive glass display mm-hmm. exactly and by now we just take it for granted. We don't think about it. Um, you know, we 
we recommend screen protectors for people who tend to drop their phones a lot. And it's not necessarily because of scratches. It's because, you know, the, the, the trade-off that Corning has to make every time it designs a new uh, Gorilla Glass is do we emphasize scratch resistance or do we emphasize drop protection and shatter resistance? Absolutely. And it's really hard to balance those things. And right now with Gorilla Glass 6, I think we're, we're, uh, we're at the emphasis on drop protection over scratch resistance. Yeah, I... You know, I'm I'm sure that it's still a lot more uh, scratch resistant than phones of ten years ago, but I I do know enough from just talking to people at Corning that it is actually a set of balance beams. The harder you make it to scratch, the more brittle it is, and it will easy you know more easily break. So that's that's what they just like you said they have to balance that out because of the thing. I guess it's a chemical treatment they do. It's it's proprietary yeah, it and be. smart on them. But, uh, you know, wh- whatever they do to make it more scratch resistant also makes it more brittle. So that's tough. And again, like this is not Samsung's fault. You know, I applaud Samsung for going so confidently into its second generation of foldable phones, right? Yes. Um, there's no other company that is using ultra-thin glass right now not yet. and the the motorola razor is a shining example of kind of <laughs> relying on um an overly complicated design but not focusing on the fundamentals to kind of ruin the experience and you know i'm not saying that as somebody who spent a lot of time with the phone but i the people that have reviewed the motorola razor i trust and most of them right. say that it's just not a good experience from the creaky hinge to the plastic display to, you know, the just the the design that they had to design around the fact that it was foldable. And they, you know, they maybe didn't do as good a job as they could just to keep it thin and 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 relatively light. Yep. I, I have to agree with you. The people I've talked to, the one great thing about it is the the wow factor. Everybody wants to look at it, but day-to-day use, it's just not a great phone. Right. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know. Anyway, here we are. It's been a week since the Galaxy Z Flip was released. It went uh, out of stock pretty much day one. It got restocked again yesterday, and as we're recording this, it's about 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday afternoon. It is again out of stock in every market. Um, and that probably means one of two things. It is really popular, despite its $1,380 price tag, or they just didn't make a lot of units. Or a combination uh, or both. of both. What do you think? I mean, is this a matter of the bill of materials is really high? They didn't want to overestimate the number of phones that they would sell. Um, they wanted to avoid another Galaxy Fold issue. Like, are they inc- are, are they are, are they improving tolerances as they go so they're only making them in small batches i i think it's a combination of all of that uh i i would be very surprised if the third run of z flips 
aren't built slightly better than the very first run just because they see things during the manufacturing process that are easy to improve. But uh, I also think that the phone's more popular than most of us think it is, even with that high price tag. There are, no, you know, they're not going to tell us exactly how many they've sold, at least not yet. But I would not be surprised to hear that they sell, you know, a quarter of a million units by the middle of the year. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that that's not surprising. Like, nobody... Nobody expected this to sell in fewer numbers than the Galaxy Fold. It's right. much cheaper. It's just a more universal design, right? Like that idea of making a regular size phone half the size by folding it vertically is, I, I think, it. more accessible to more people. Yep. I I want version 4 to come out with a better glass display and a much lower price Mm-hmm. So I can buy one to use every day. Totally. I mean, I'm actually, I'm the opposite. I want generation three of the Galaxy Fold, where the the front is a full-size, you right. know, four, like five-inch display that opens out into like a, an eight-inch display. There's no notch. There's, you know, it's a glass display without the plastic cover. We're going to mm-hmm. get there. Oh, we yeah. We'll definitely get there. But it'll take a couple of years. And only Samsung can do it. I mean, Huawei could have done it, but with their troubles that they're in, you know, having to deal with right now, uh, they they're they're not going to go out and reinvent anything at the moment. And I don't blame them. But Samsung is the only company that that can do this because they're they don't have the supply chain that Apple has, but they are the supply chain for most of this stuff. So I have confidence that Samsung is going to get this whole foldable phone idea, both horizontal and vertical fold, perfect eventually. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I'm actually surprised that um, that they're... So, for example... A couple of places, The Verge and Gadget, they've they've released their reviews. We're working on ours. Um, so one thing that's been interesting is that the narrative around this phone has been less about the future as it has about the present, in the sense that when you open it up, it's kind of just a normal phone, right? Right. In the sense that like, if you didn't know that it folded, the Galaxy Z Flip when it's open, just operates like a regular device. And that's probably a good thing because normal means mainstream. Right. And that is what foldable phones need to be so that prices come down and so that the regular consumer, when they walk into a Verizon store, won't look right past it because they don't know what it is or why they would want it. Exactly. I'm excited about foldables. I'm not going to buy a Z Flip, and I thought about it this morning when it went up for pre-order here in Canada. It's now sold out, so I can't even buy one if I wanted to, but I considered it. I had my hand on the add to cart, and I just didn't do it, and it wasn't. I don't regret it. It's not something that I'm going to miss um, because, honestly, I know myself. I know that I think more about 
when I'm using my phone, I tend to use it as a tool. Right. And there aren't enough utilities built into the Z Flip that would make it an advantage over a regular form factor for me today. Like the flex mode is interesting. Putting it on a table and being able to take a selfie is interesting, but not not useful enough that I think is going to make a big difference. And, and I'm a lot like you. Uh, my phone is a tool. It is, I'm, I'm not that person who sits on the bus and plays games for two hours back and forth to work. Uh, I use it as a tool, but the Z Flip has one thing that has me really interested in, and that's the portability. Uh, I'm an, you know, we all know that nerd who carries his phone in his shirt pocket. And if you don't, you do now because that's that's me. Yeah. And the Z Flip is a, it's not a huge phone, but it's a big phone that can fit in my shirt pocket. Right. Yeah, and, and that's actually one thing. If you watch uh, Michael Fisher's review, he said, you know, this is the thing that I'm most excited about. It's not the fact that when you, when you open the phone, it does so many amazing things. It's that mm-hmm. when the phone is closed, you can put it in areas where you couldn't, right. like those shirt pockets, like that tiny uh, you know, inside pocket of your bag that no thief right. would think to check in, like things like that. Yep. So I'm excited about those that potential. Um, but I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Galaxy S20 Ultra before oh, we move on to Android 11 because precious. for me, like you're talking about the Z Flip being $1,380, the S20 Ultra is $1,400. Yep. So it's not like you're paying less for a traditional form factor here, but they're stuffing it with so much tech that it's kind of it kind of feels more worth it. Yeah, if if I had $1,500 to buy a phone and a case and a screen protector or, you know, the accessories that go with any phone the S20 Ultra would be my pick way before the Z Flip. So what is it about, you know, you've you've brought up the fact that you've always had reservations about how Samsung approaches uh, Android design with such a heavy hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what about this phone makes you want to set those concerns aside? The camera. Uh, I, I'm not going to ever shoot 8K video. But that just, I, I don't know, it, it intrigues me. As somebody who is really interested and I nerd out over optics and lenses and, you know, digital sensors, much more than a, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not a great photographer. I just love the tech inside a, a small form factor electronic camera. And the S20 Ultra is... Like something we've never seen before. You can say, well, Huawei and Oppo have done similar things. Yes, they've done similar things, but Samsung has, well, they're they Samsung. They did it better, more, bigger. Right. Except this is a ama- like the, the thing about Samsung is that it's a phone that is sold everywhere in the world. Right. Right. There is no, there are no countries where a Samsung phone is not available. And I think that is, a really important distinction. You know, we had a, a situation on, um, I woke up on Thursday morning to 
one of the highest trafficked posts on Android Central history. <laughs> um, and if you own a Samsung phone, you you know what I'm talking about. You woke one. up to the Find My Mobile app sending one. you a notification with the number one. One. And it nobody just, knew what the hell it was. Yeah. So crazy. And if you looked it up on the internet, Android Central was the first hit because we got the post up first because uh, we just had a bunch of Samsung users notice it right away and be like, what the hell is this? And um, it just goes to show that, you know, there are millions and millions of Samsung users on the internet, whether they are searching for reviews and whatever, that doesn't matter. But, you know, when people go to a store, they look at Samsung phones either first or second in most markets. Right, right. you you have to i mean, i don't i don't even think we can put it in perspective because uh, uh our our minds as as people we we can't actually visualize these numbers but there's two and a half billion android phones out there in use every month 80 some percent of them are made by samsung that's that's close to 2 billion users that doesn't mean people have them out all the time using them every day like some people do, but they still, they, they own a Samsung phone. That is a wild statistic. I don't think that is tr- that is completely accurate. I don't think Samsung's market share is 80% within Android. I thought it was 79. I could be wrong. I'll be the first one to admit. I, I may be misremembering, but I, I thought I think it was it's, 78, 79%. I don't think so. I think it's closer to like... I want to say like 50 or 60%, especially now, right? With the number of Chinese OEMs yes, eating okay. their breakfast in many markets. And, but it's, I mean, the number is considerably higher than any other manufacturer. Right. If, like, even if it's 50%, here. that's still one and a quarter billion phones. Right. Wow. So <laughs> it's a lot of phones, regardless. And not all of those phones are. $1,000 Galaxy S phones by any means. No, but, but they all got that number one text. They did, and it's so. crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, if you bring it back to the Galaxy S20 Ultra, right? Like, these are things, you know, Samsung puts technology in its uh, $1,400 phones that in a couple of years will trickle down to its A-series phones that cost right. $500. And yep. that is significant, right? So. Yep. You know, we've put up some photo samples already on the site. The space zoom is, it's a marketing gimmick, right? A hundred times zoom is not realistic. Well, but I, I, I looked at Narav and, you know, on, and Andrew's samples. There are some usable photos at a hundred X zoom. There's nothing that you would want to frame and put on your wall or nothing you want to use as your desktop wallpaper, but I, I think Narav really hit it on the head when he uh, said that he was able to read this sign on the ferry. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that you can do that. Yes, that's, you know, that, that kind of stuff interests me because there's there's an actual use case for that. You know, if I want to see a street sign, I, I can zoom way out there. And yeah, maybe I won't be able to read the sign if I didn't already know what it might be. But if I know where 1st Street, 2nd Street, and 3rd Street are, but I'm not sure which one I'm at, I can reach out there and have a look at it with my phone. 
Or you can just open Google Maps, but you know. Oh, stop. Leave me. Let me <laughs> let me love that's, the space. You know, that's zoom. another option. There's always <laughs> GPS. But I get what you're saying. I mean, look, like there's I've been I use the the Huawei P30 Pro um Lucky. all summer last year and it was amazing and it was occasionally creepy because you yeah. could you could zoom and zoom and zoom and you could still you could still resolve some detail. Um that was that was limited to 50x. Um but the Galaxy S20 Ultra has a four times optical zoom and combined with the data from the other three sensors gives you 10 times lossless zoom. Right. So, you know, reality is that you're only getting four times truly lossless zoom, which is fine. It's still twice as long as the Galaxy S10 series. Um, and by, you know, up to 30 times you're still getting a really good photo. Yeah. Those were the impressive samples that I've seen are, you know, 10x, 20x, 30x. Those are, you know, you see them and you you think to yourself, these came from a phone? And, you know, that's pretty cool. It is It is amazing. I, I agree with you. I also just love the fact, and I, I'm, I posted about this on Twitter last night. You know, Zoom is fine, and it's a, it's a, it's a really smart way to sell phones right because um it's a it's a way to differentiate but my my concern with samsung's cameras have always been the fact that they don't take good portrait photos and i don't mean right. portrait mode photos i mean portraits of people right yeah. they don't resolve facial detail they they really soften a lot of the details that you'd want to get when you're taking photos of your your friends or your kids or whatever and they've never been really good at um at at ramping up the the shutter speed in situations where you have a fast moving object like a toddler and the one reason that I've loved using the Pixel 4 over the last few months is because I can grab really good photos of my kid in almost any situation in any lighting condition and I will get a usable photo um when I switch over to video, I hate my life because the Pixel <laughs> captures terrible video quality, but photos have been really good. And for the first time, I mean, I've only used it for a day, but for the first time, I'm happy with the way that Samsung takes portrait photos. And I don't see myself needing to switch back to a Pixel because when I open Google Photos, I'm like, yep. I don't even have to open the photo to know that that wasn't taken with a pixel, right? Right, right. And it's, you know, there's different ways to go about it. I, the nerd in me loves the way Google does it with, a, you know, just an off-the-shelf lens that's not amazing optical hardware, and they use a computer algorithm to, to make things work out well. But I also love the way Samsung's doing it with, rudimentary computer algorithms combined with amazing hardware that might be off the shelf components but they're put together in a special way i mean you can't like i keep thinking to myself what if google put a uh, third of an inch sensor in his oh. phone you know <laughs> like yeah. what if they stopped using a three-year-old sensor and got their act together and just did what Samsung is doing. Like, what could they? Because I, what, what I did yesterday was I, I did I, I perform what I call a low light torture test. I saw that where I go into a basically a room that is pitch 
pitch dark. It's only lit by a single hallway light. And it's basically, you cannot see anything in that room except for the faintest shadow, faintest outline of a painting. And it's a beautiful yep. painting. My friend's parent, my friend's uh, father uh, painted it. And um, it is just the perfect night sight slash night mode test. And I do it with the same lighting every single time. So all of my results are consistent. And the one thing that I found from the Galaxy S20 Ultra was that there's just so much less sensor noise at mm-hmm. high ISO. And if you don't want to, if don't know what that means, that's okay. It just means that if you have to capture something in low light, you're for, the, the sensor is forced to increase the amount of sensitivity it has towards the light coming in. So you, you get more detail and more, you know, with, with more light gets more detail, but you also get way more grain and noise that's coming onto the sensor. And at the equivalent ISO setting on the Galaxy S20 Ultra, the Galaxy S20, the Galaxy Note 10, the iPhone 11 Pro, and the Pixel 4 XL, they all captured at around 3200 ISO, which is about the max that an auto mode will give you for yep. a phone. And the Galaxy S20 Ultra had by far the least amount of sensor noise. So that was really encouraging. Another thing that I found impressive about your your test there is that, yes, there was some more noise in some of the others, but they all were impressive. For Because I, you've explained to uh, you know, maybe not publicly, but I know how you'd take that test, you... You said that, you know, out in the hallway, there's a light and where you're taking the photo is just a big shadow. And to be able to know what you're seeing out of all those phones really, you know, is a statement, too, that everybody's getting better on, on you know, that L- low light, uh, less noise. Every every company's getting a little better. Uh, the ne- the other thing that impressed me is that uh, the iPhone isn't even close to being the winner anymore. And I never thought I'd see that day. It's really interesting because, okay, like getting into the weeds here a little bit, the iPhone 11 Pro's low light mode or night mode or whatever is really good. And it's better than the Pixel in some situations, but there has to be ample light. Um, in the sense that, like, if you're outside and it's dark, but you're still, there's still enough light, you know, the moon or street lamps or something, yeah. the iPhone will perform really well. But if you eliminate or almost eliminate light, uh, Google does a much better job. And this this test showed to, showed me that Samsung is just, they, they're a... Um, they're just a pickup truck. They're just a. Yep. They're, they just have a Hemi engine in there, and they are just revving to you know the max RPM, and they are basically just brute forcing their way to a better photo because the processing on the Samsung photos is nowhere close to as good as the Pixel or the iPhone. But well, you're yeah. starting with a much cleaner photo, so there's less to process. Right, and but that's a benefit for Samsung. That means they're they don't have to develop their own, you know, photo processing algorithms from scratch. They they can use what, in this case, Qualcomm 
is providing and and tweak it to make you know with their hardware and and make such a very good photo yeah. and they don't have to spend a bunch of money to reinvent the wheel yeah exactly and i just i love the versatility here i love the fact that you have an ultra wide camera you have really really good video and i'm so excited about taking better quality i'm not talking i don't care about 8k video i care i care about better quality 4k video or super stable 1080p video mm-hmm. that samsung's really well known for and i just think if you're buying an ultra i was skeptical but it really feels like you are getting your money's worth you are getting that extra 200 dollars worth of value so if you have an ultra up for pre-order and you're worried of that you you know spent too much money I think you're going to be happy with your purchase. If you bought a Galaxy S10 Plus, though, or an S10, or sorry, an S20 or an S20 Plus, um, I think you'll be happy with those too. And I'm next week with Andrew, we'll give a bit more of a, a deep dive uh, into those smaller phones. But for now, let's just stick with the Ultra. All right. So last thing we want to talk about is Android 11. So Jerry, earlier this week, Google dropped our first developer preview for Android 11. It was um, earlier this year by a few weeks than in previous years. And there were a bunch of interesting updates, but you know, visually and, and, and from a usability perspective, it's pretty much the same, same deal. So give us your high level, what's cool, what's interesting about Android 11 right now. Two things really stand out for me and they they may sound minor but they're quality of life improvements the nag if you deny a permission that's that's gone if you say no twice an app is never allowed to bug you again and that a developer doesn't have to change a thing for that to happen so if you've got an app you use and it's constantly asking to uh, access your address book and you're like no you don't need to you know, be randomly emailing people saying, check out my app. It's not going to ask you every time anymore with Android 11. The second thing is the biometrics improvements. Uh, And this is more Pixel 4 specific, but it's going to get broader as other other phone manufacturers start to include uh, the same type of, you know, optical face scanning that the Pixel 4 has. Uh, In Android 11... The biometrics API has been changed. Uh, a developer will have to rebuild their app, but they don't need to recode anything. If it works with a fingerprint sensor in Android 10, it will work with the face scanner in the Pixel 4. So what does that mean? The There are now three levels, strong, weak, and device credential. Right. Um, what are those levels, and how are app developers going to implement them to their benefit? Uh, that's they they've left that up to the developer. Let let's say your bank, your bank is going to want the the highest level of security uh, in in its app because you know if your bank gets hacked, they have to pay you back and then try to recover their loss. So they want everything to be as secure as it can be, and that would be you know very high, maybe even device credential level high. Uh. Other things, you know, a password manager, that's going to be very high security. But hang on a second. So I'm just trying to understand, because um, right now it's, it's you know, it's 
black or white, right? It's either, you know, for, for most phones, you only have one method of authentication. Right. Maybe two if you have a, a, a camera, like an RGB camera-based unlock. But that that is that is insecure by default. Right. Like you can't you can't use that for any biometric API uh, call at all on Android. So say I have a, a Pixel Three A right now. Um, it's going to get up, updated to Android Eleven. It has a rear capacitive fingerprint sensor. What what are the advantages of an app giving or like lowering the API credential so that it uses weak biometrics on a on an existing uh, rear fingerprint sensor solution, for instance? A fingerprint sensor, for the most part, or or they're considered high biometric security anyway. But if if you will allow me the indulgence to use the HTCU 12 instead of the Pixel 3a. Let's pretend for a moment that there was a chance in hell that it would see Android 11. It has face scanning that isn't quite as secure as Samsung's Iris unlock or the Pixel 4's face unlock, but it's still much more secure than standard Android's face unlock. Uh, that your bank could, if it wanted to, let you unlock their app with your face on the HTCU 12. They probably wouldn't, but let's say, you know, not necessarily your bank, let, let's say... Uh, like a, a, a file or like a, a locker style right, app right, where like you put photos, photos in and you don't want right. anybody else to see it. That you don't necessarily... If I'm the developer of that app, I understand that people, you know, value their privacy, but I, I, I also don't think that it needs the same level of security as, you know, decrypting your phone when it first starts up, where you know you have to enter in a PIN number. So I'm instantly going to, you know, want to in- incorporate biometrics. Uh, I could think that well, you know, this is important enough that. It has to be a high level, but more than likely, you know, a medium level of security is enough for for that application. So something like the U12, and I'm sure there are other phones out there. I know Huawei has, you know, very high-end face scanning abilities too. And, and I know there's got to be other phones that do it that I'm not aware of. Those phones you know, why not use your face to unlock that file unlocker? It's secure enough instead of forcing someone to enter a PIN number. Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. It's just, you know, right now, for instance, there aren't a lot of apps that use either, like that. there haven't been a lot of apps that have been upgraded to support Biometrics API, the new one anyway. Right. But eventually, I guess this will be helpful. Well, and that's because to update to the new biometrics api a developer has to build his own dialogue and interface and you know if you if you've got a pixel 4 you show it your face to unlock your password manager down at the bottom is the little smiley face and you tap the button and it says okay uh they don't a developer has to incorporate that and build a, a you know a way to interface that into his app with Android 11, they don't. They they will literally only need to 
refactor the app and build it, you know, target the new API level and the system handles everything else for them. Okay. That is, that is really interesting. Yes. Because we've got a list of the, what, 25 or so apps that use the Pixel 4's face unlock. Well, that number can potentially, you know, become everything if a developer is willing to take, you know, it's, it's not instant. They, they still have to do a little bit of work, but not much work. Okay, so let's run through the list very quickly. Uh, support for mobile driving drivers licenses. This was um, this is something that some U.S. states have already rolled out, but there's there's no official support in either iOS or Android yet. So it's possible that if you know, come Android 11, uh, Google Pass or Google Pay rather would would support this kind of integration, yeah. and you wouldn't have to carry around your driver's license. Interesting, but probably not imminent. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're in the EU, I, I would be more excited about that. That sounds like something the EU would be, you know, widely adopted long before every state in the U.S. Okay, chat bubbles are back. This int- this got introduced in Android 10, but was never implemented by the time the final version came out. Now, in the first developer preview. If you receive a notification or an, a, a text message or a, a message of any sort from a messaging app, you can long press on the notification and turn it into a bubble, essentially a chat head. Um, I'm not sure this is going to be the final UX for turning something into a chat head or a bubble, but it seems like it would be useful if you're having ongoing conversations with people that you need to have a bubble overlaid on top of what you're doing all the time. Right. My, uh, my, my wife will, will love this feature that that's this, why she, she loves, you know, Facebook chat ads because she'll, you know, in her downtime, she may be talking to two or three people at a time. And it's great to have, you know, the conversation one tap away, all displayed. you, it, you you understand what I mean. If you talk to more than one person at a time now, you have to go back into the messaging app and, you know, find that conversation or wait for somebody to reply and tap the notification. With the chat heads, it's all just right there. And I agree that the UI right now is a little clunky and Google is always a little tiny bit clunky in their UI but they've gotten a lot better, so I can see some more refinement coming to this. To that end, Android 11 is also up integrating a dedicated conversation section in your notification shade. So if you're having chats with people either through SMS or any other messaging app, they will be essentially pinned to the top of your notification shade, which is kind of where they should be. Right now, I'm always amazed that... um, if I get a, a bunch of YouTube notifications or Slack messages, my um, my SMS messages just like fall to the bottom of the notification yep. shade. Not super useful. Um, you can now send images from notifications as well through quick replies. That's kind of cool. And that's that's going to expand. I was looking at, you know, a little bit of the preview code that, that they've shared with Bug and what they've submitted is what's going to be part of the open source project. It's going to be more than images. You're going to be able to send PDF files or 
text documents or anything right from the notification, which is really handy. Uh, this one is my favorite, even though it's probably the smallest. Uh, you'll soon be able to mute vibrations while using the camera. Yep. That's a so big deal. It is a big deal because it's something that feels like you should have been able to do it for years now. But every time I get a notification while I'm recording video, that's always in my damn video. <laughs> <laughs> it's so annoying. Yep. Um, that and it, it can ruin a shot. Oh, if yeah. you've got it lined up just perfect and you're just about to tap the button and then your phone vibrates in your hand. So that's going to be uh, one of those fan favorite features that people are going to love. One-time permissions, too. That's, that's uh, it's not for everything. It's, it's not for all permissions. It's for anything that can use your microphone or your camera or I do believe access your media files. Uh, you can say yes, but only this time, which I don't like to give out permissions. I love the fact that now I can choose which permissions I, I allow an app to have, and I don't want Chrome to have access to my microphone or my camera. But if I want to, you know, go to a a, a site in a website in Chrome that may have an AR component and it needs to use the back camera, I can say just this time. All right. Um, next one is scoped storage. So this is another <laughs> one of those features that was de that debuted in Android 10, but never really shipped. Um, this time it's shipping and it's better than ever. But a lot of people, especially a lot of developers, are kind of concerned that scope storage will mess with their ability to store files, essentially, and, and transfer data between apps yeah um, tell us why this is not going to break your app or your favorite app well it it's as it stands now it still might break your favorite app but what google has done is they've number one they've made it easier to use i think kitkat is when it first came out uh there's an api that allows you to access files or folders you don't own They've, I know they've expanded it for something like a photo viewer where you can even do mass deletion of, let's say, you know, pictures on your device from any photo viewer app, even if that photo viewer doesn't own the uh, folder that they're in. But they've made it so if you can convince Google that you need more access. Uh, there's a, a, a way to, as you submit your app to the Play Store, Google will look at it. And right now, my understanding is Google is not going to make a judgment. They're going to see that, okay, you're not, this app isn't set to do anything nefarious. It's going to be approved. And then it's up to the user whether you want to grant it access to the top level directory and let it get access to all of your media files. Uh, it does involve more work. Developers don't like more work unless it's introducing a new feature that's going to get more users. That's, that's a problem, but I don't see any other way to do it. And this is something that Android needs and not because of your favorite legitimate app, but because of these 
spammy, scammy apps that say, we need access to your, you know, media files. And they don't exactly tell you why, or they say, you know, we, we want access to store photographs or screenshots you might take. And you think, oh, that's cool, and you press it. But by granting that, you give them access to everything, even, you know, documents from other apps that you might not want that developer to have access to. And there right. are plenty of apps out there that, while they're not quite malware, they do a little bit more than they should when it comes to snooping around. This this puts an end to all that. So the last couple are pretty standard stuff for a modern operating system, but they're useful anyway. Android 11 will have better support for 5G metering. So if you have an unlimited 5G plan, you'll be able to tell an app not to limit your downloads to, to Wi-Fi like a lot of them do yep. right now. Um, you'll be able to get a, there's a bandwidth estimator API, which will give you more information about your downstream and upstream. Um, 5G eventually when it's ubiquitous and all of the bands are fast and everybody just has it, it's going to be so much faster and so much going to give people the ability to have so much more data that you're not going to need Wi-Fi. You're not going to need to differentiate between 5G and Wi-Fi the way that we do today. Right. So this is just preparing for that. Um, and I don't think people have really thought about the impact on that, right? Like the way that we think about our phone, the, the state of our phones today is you are either on Wi-Fi or you're on cellular. And Samsung's done this for years. If you allow it to, it combines the downstream mm -hmm from both if you want a, a speed boost. But just from a fundamental like internet connectivity perspective, even if you're on an unlimited plan, you still have to worry about hitting that limit, especially if you're on a super fast plan. Right. And, and with 5G, when it gets a wider launch, I know T-Mobile can say we have you know nationwide network, whatever. When it actually becomes a thing where you expect to be on 5G and, you know, you're not surprised when you see it. Uh, unmetered means more than just unlimited band or unlimited download data. It means speed, too. If you've got too many users, you know, you they, they'll, they'll slow your your speed down a little bit. But if you're in the park and there's not a bunch of people attached to a small site, you know, Cell, cell site, and it can just throw that bandwidth out there. That's a completely unmetered connection, and it's, you know, it's it's different. It's going to be very different than what we're using today. So it's good to see Google, and I'm sure that Apple is is doing the same thing. And it's great to see, you know, be prepared when it comes. Don't try to put a bandaid on it after it gets here. Right. Exactly. All right. The last thing is something I'm surprised hasn't been included in Android already, better compatibility with pinhole and waterfall displays. Oh, that, that's a big deal too. Um, so obviously notches are not new. We've had notches on Android phones since 2017. But um, Google is expanding its support, official support for various screen designs um, by including pinhole and waterfall displays. 
and they're being added to the existing display cutout APIs. And Google is saying that it's added a new API that allows apps to use the entire waterfall display, including the edges. Yeah. So if you look at something like the P30, the Mate 30 Pro, where the sides of the display actually fall off the edge and it gives you that infinity pool effect, yeah. um, developers will be able to use those edges for for app features, which is wild. My most favorite thing about this is these APIs are semi-automatic where a developer doesn't have to say, well, all right, we need to build a, a version for the Mate 30 Pro that can specifically do this. Uh, we They can just build their app, and if the device is the Mate 30 Pro, it just works. The same with the pinholes. Uh, I'm not a big fan of pinhole displays, but they're here, and they're going to remain here for a while. And the pinhole is not in the same spot on every phone. Well, the developer doesn't have to care where the pinhole is. The phone knows where its pinhole is, and when it goes to run the app, the app will just work around it because it knows where the hole is. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, we saw it first with like the essential phone and how Google's like Google Maps would like wrap around it and it looked really beautiful. Yep. But there were so many other apps where it just didn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it looked like garbage. So I think by now we can sort of take for granted that if you have a phone with a pinhole display or a hole punch or whatever, um, most apps work fine, but there are still exceptions. Well, it, the apps that work fine now, uh, they work fine because developers did a good bit of work. Yeah. Uh, in the future, they'll be able to use that time to work on better features or other improvements. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is the first developer preview. Uh, there are going to be three, and then um, then come Google I.O., probably, you know, the first day right after the keynote ends, Google will release the first public beta. And um, that's that. It'll be one of those things where uh, you'll be able to download it by going to the, you know, android.com slash beta um, there will be two other beta releases through June and July, and then a public release likely in late July or early August. So that's not dissimilar to uh, what it's been like in the past, but there's an, it looks like there's just an extra long developer preview window this time where OEMs and developers will be able to just have a longer runway. And I think Google will continue doing this uh, year after year. I think Google learned from the scope storage debacle last time. And this is why developers are getting an extra three weeks. And what we got uh, the other day, download, flash, it's purely for developers to look at, run and refactor their apps, and then give Google feedback about what works, what's good, what's bad. And then Google can start to work on changing it. And that's always the best way to do it. You, you, you can't just test this in-house and then release something. And by the time you've got it ready for release, it's either yes or no. Scope storage was that way. There was no way Google was able to fix it to make it work better for developers. So they basically had to yank it. And this time around, maybe there's something they won't have to yank. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I don't see that happening again. Or though maybe not because it's it's Google. 
<laughs> you, you, never know. you never know. Well, we don't even know what else is hidden in there. Uh, you've got amazing people like the people at XDA that are tearing down APKs and finding things that they can make work with obscure commands, like tapping on the back of your Pixel 4. There's no documentation about that. There's nothing in the developer documentations. Uh, there, there's just no way to even know that was in there. Uh, we see more of the the what will be new quote unquote features in the next developer preview, and then the one after that before they start to get ready to make a real proper beta. And right now, it looks a lot this a lot you know the same as Android 10, but there is some hidden stuff in there that people are really looking for and. You know, those things may not be ready for prime time or they may be in there and just come up, bam, and the next one, they're good to go and everybody try it. And just giving to the developers more time makes the operating system better, period. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking forward to it. And because we have pixels, we're going get, to get it first. So that's yep. always fun. It's All always right. fun to break them. <laughs> that's, uh, that's our show. We are out of here. Uh, Jerry, People can find you at GB Hill on all the things. Yep. Um, look out for his uh, Galaxy S20 Ultra editorial. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be <laughs> on the site. You can find all of our Galaxy S20 coverage at androidcentral.com. Um, my name is Daniel Bader. You can find me at Journey Dan on all the things. And uh, there's a lot more to come, including our Galaxy S20 Ultra review next week. So stay tuned. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Adios.